But if you want to know who killed Mr. Body, I did. In the hall, with the revolver. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Does It Hold Up podcast, where we take a look at old movies to see if they still hold up to today's standards. Well, on tonight's episode, we are headed back to 1985, where we are going to solve a mystery of who done it, and where was it, and with what weapon was it the revolver in the conservatory by Professor Plum? Stay tuned to find out. <laughs> As we rewatch Clue to see if it still holds up. <laughs> All right. So Clue is about a group of mysterious guests who are invited to a mansion for a big dinner party by one person who's blackmailing all of them because they all have government connections, money, and secrets. Though, of course, they don't know that right away. Well, they all know they have secrets. Well, no. They they... don't know each other has secrets. (laughs) Uh, They all get to this mansion, and as they start to figure out why they're there, bodies start piling up. And now it's really, which one of you have done it? Because it has to be somebody there. There's no one else. So we get, you know, everybody's the... We get all the classic characters. We get Professor Plum, Colonel Mustard, Miss Peacock, Miss Scarlet, Miss White, Mrs. White, and Mr. Green. Yes. We get all the classic weapons. Plus the maid and the butler. Plus the maid and the butler. And the butler did it. The butler always does it. (laughs) That's everything. Kidding. Um... And then you get, you know, all the classic rooms, the billiards room, the study, the library, the conservatory, the kitchen. You get all the classic weapons, everything. And basically, it's a start 90 minutes. It's like 88 minutes is the actual runtime when it was in theaters. It's now 96 minutes, and we'll discuss why a little bit later. So, nice, easy watch. Oh, yeah, it went by super quick. And it's a black comedy, so it's just start to finish. You just roll like it's awesome and you kind of have to be paying attention during this movie because there is so much you might miss if you zone out even for a second this is not a netflix movie where you're just like i'm gonna be on my phone netflix put something on in the background it's like no pay attention watch the movie all right we have actually a really unique cast in this movie for a movie that didn't really do well This is a pretty damn good cast. So let's start from the bottom up. Okay, wherever you want. (laughs) Figured let's get to the big names last. So first person we have is the maid, uh, who is one Colleen Camp. Not that recognizable of a name, but Mm -hmm. she she did some stuff. She was big in Hollywood for a little bit. She got some good roles, made a name for herself. And this was kind of like her first big break. Talk to me about Colleen Camp as the maid. What'd you think? She physically did the part. It was the weird accent for me, but, you know, that that was her trying to do a thing. I just, she she was there for her physicality to me, and that was like it. You didn't like the uh, fake French accent that she did through the whole movie? And then dropped for the one scene where it was supposed to be dropped to show you that she's not actually French? I thought it was I mean, fine. it was a fake accent for that reason. Like, yeah. if you didn't like it, 
then it did its job. That's fair. <laughs> like, I don't I don't think she... She wasn't actually French, so it being, like, a really weird accent, really weird everything, makes sense, because she's not who she says Though I who will, she said she is. I will say she gave good face. Like, she gave such great reactions to certain things, it was hilarious. Oh, yeah, she was, she was great in this role, and... As, as weird as it is for me to say that, she was she was great in this role, but man, she got overshadowed by a lot of other people. Oh, yeah. Like, she was probably my least favorite in this movie, mostly because she didn't get as much to do. Um, but Colleen Camp was just in, like, the movie Father Stew that just came out earlier this year. She was in an episode of the remake of The Twilight Zone. So she's still working. She was in uh, The House with a Clock in Its Walls. So she's still working. She's still getting a lot of work. This was just one of her first major roles. And I think uh, when you're in there with these kind of heavy hitters, it's kind of hard to Well, especially impress. since your your character isn't supposed to be that much. Exactly. But uh, speaking of her character, let's talk about her character a little bit. She was the maid. And I think that entire character existed for two reasons. One, to be leered at yeah, by, by two of the men. By Professor Plum and Colonel Mustard, and two to die to be a body. I don't really think she had much else to do, it, depending. Yeah, on which ending on which you ending get. you get, and we'll, we'll discuss that in a little bit. But you know, she did a lot with a little. Yeah, I mean, she was noticeable for the most part, but and and that's saying something for a part that seems to be almost not noticeable. I mean, you never think of a maid as being someone you're really paying attention to. Yeah, she's supposed to just be in the background. I think that character was written well enough to just be in the background. So, all right. Next up, we have, you know what, let's go to Colonel Mustard, who was played by one Martin Mull. Talk to me about the character. So I thought he played indignant, like, really well. To the fact of he would get, like, accused of something and he'd be like, well, I never. You know, that sort of interaction with other characters. And he, while not having, like, the most to do in this movie, he was still there and he still had his presence shown throughout, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the character was done well i think written well i think portrayed well by the actor he was supposed to be a very i mean he's he's colonel mustard he's supposed to be more upstanding more stoic and i think the character came across that way i think there were moments where it was like eh, you feel like you're just coasting like the writer didn't know what to do with you yeah really um I felt that a lot with a lot of the male characters, though. Well, it makes sense. But him in particular was just, yeah, you're there. You get to exist in this scene. In the next scene, you get to do stuff. Mm -hmm. But here, you get to just exist. More than any other character in the movie, I thought that happened with him. Yeah. So, I don't think the character was all that great. He's probably one of the least memorable characters for me. But Morton Mull did a great job with it. I think he, when he needed to step up and be the focus of a scene, he could. He could He could put all eyes on him when he had to, but he also could just then disappear into the background when he had to. He Which definitely really had that. Which really helped 
add to that kind of mystery of like, oh, well, maybe he did it. Cause I don't remember seeing him here. But that's because you weren't looking at him. Oh, yeah. And then Martin Mull did a lot of stuff, a lot of TV, a lot of things. Um, he was in, like, the Drew Carey show. He was uh, a voice on The Simpsons. Um, what else did he do? He was in Ski Patrol from the 90s. Well, from 1990, that was a huge. When all, like, those snowboarding, skiing movies were out. And it's like, we had, like, two years where it was just, hey, look at these preppy guys on snowboard or on skis. Now look at these cool kids on snowboards going against them in a big race. We had, like, a two-year span where it just... That was every movie. I feel like I'm glad I missed that. Oh, it was, it was <laughs> crazy. It was crazy. But he was in, Ski Patrol was one of the bigger ones there. And he was in that. He was in uh, The Player, great movie. He was, the biggest thing I think he's done since Clue was probably the principal in the original Sabrina the Teenage Witch TV show. Yeah. He was the principal. He was in pretty much almost every episode until they graduated and went to college. So, you know, he kept working, never really hit the heights that he probably should have hit, but he's, you know, making a nice little living for himself, and I think he was pretty good here. Next up is Leslie. Now, you know what? Let's let's do all the men first. Uh, next up would be Michael McKean as Mr. Green. Talk to me about him. Talk to me about the character first. The character was so, like, innocent and sweet to me. And I just, every time he was like, I didn't do it. Yeah, it got he me. Was, he was really good. <laughs> um, the character was great. The character is a gay man, and that's his secret. His secret is he's gay. In and the he 50s. Can't, and, and in the 50s, and he works in the government, so he can't get out because he's going to lose his job. And I think the character was written perfectly. He wasn't outwardly, overly flamboyant in any way like mm -hmm. maybe that character would be written today oh definitely that character would be like would be oh my god girl <laughs> as they used to say flaming yes but i think he did it justice where it was like little nods you could see him doing little things like there's a scene where they're splitting up to go investigate stuff and the two other men want to be with yvette the maid the voluptuous because she's yvette. sexy and they're both like, yes, we'll go with you. We'll go with you. And he's like, nah, I'm good. And just walks away. And it's just like, that is that is a great representation without shoving it in your face. Oh, yeah. And it's just so subtle acting, the way he sat, the way he moved, the way when you said, when he says, I didn't do it, it's like the way the character is portrayed. And that, that goes to Michael McKean, who played the character, is you can see the little mannerisms, but again not beat over the head with it. There's just these little moments of greatness. Yeah, like I wrote down, he is wonderfully understated. Like, he can act and be in this role and not have it be so over the top in this comedy that can kind of be over the top. I mean, when half your lines are, I didn't do it. <laughs> and he manages to say it in a different way every single time. Every time. It is wonderful. I thought he did a fantastic job. Oh, absolutely. I think he was wonderful. Um, and Michael McKean, the actor, like, probably not a name most people recognize, but a face I think pretty much everyone would recognize. This dude went on to do so many things. Like, just running through his list real quick is, he was in the second Casper movie, 
He was in Boy Meets World. He was in Spinal Tap. One of the main guys in Spinal Tap. He was in... He did a voice for the Animaniacs. He was in the movie Small Soldiers. Ugh. He that, was just that movie. He was just a voice. I know. Well, we're gonna cover that movie one of these days. Ooh, mm. He was in the Batman Beyond show. He was on The Simpsons, Mystery Alaska, which was a huge movie. Like Best in Show. Like I could just go on and on. This guy has two hundred and forty-seven credits to his acting career. Like that's amazing. And I think in this movie, he he crushed it. I think in less capable hands, it comes off poorly. It's oh. a little too big. It's a little too overly dramatic. It's a little, I don't know. I just honestly I don't a see lot else doing of these it. characters in other hands would just come off as comical, like not good comical, like bad comical. No, understandable. It would just be like, ugh, you're so grating. Mm-hmm. I don't want to watch this because I don't like what you're doing or what you're. I'm so I'm done. And I get that. And so Michael McKean just, he was great. Next up is Christopher Lloyd, who played Professor Plum. Go ahead, talk to me about the character of Professor Plum. What'd you think? He was so skeevy to me. (laughs) Mostly because his entire character dealt with... Well, what's his secret? What's he trying to hide? Well, his secret was he uh, was a psychologist and he had inappropriate relations with one of his patients. Uh, as far that, as I understood, it was actually multiple patients, just one that came forward. Oh, okay. I did catch that. Um, so his whole character is basically, I, I'm looking at all these women. I'm talking to all these women. And it's just beyond the leering to me. It was so very much nothing. He He's another one of those that was like, you kind of don't note. add much to this. He's Yeah, he's one note. He's You're there because you're a skeevy perv. And that's about the only character arc we're going to give you. And he's another one that kind of fades to the background. So you're like, oh, maybe he's going to have a major hand in this because I don't notice him in the scene. Yeah. Turns out he's there. You just are trying not to notice him. Which is crazy because it's Christopher Lloyd. Like, we love Christopher Lloyd. That's Doc Brown (laughs) from Back to the Future. Like, we love him. How did we not have our eyes fixed on him? More than we did. Because he was doing a really good job of, of playing an annoying back. character. Yes. Like, Where you're like, I just want to get rid of you. Yeah. Um, if you guys just needed a refresher, he was Doc Brown in Back to the Future. He was the alien in My Favorite Martian, the remake from the 90s. He's going to be in episode one of the newest season of Mandalorian. I wonder who he's playing in that. No idea. I cannot wait for it, though. <laughs> Dude has done so much stuff. He was in, he was Judge Doom. In Who Framed Roger Rabbit, another movie that we got to touch upon another time. Um, So, just crazy. Like, think about this. We just went through only four people. And think of the names I said. And we still have four more people to discuss. This movie had a dynamite cast. Oh, yeah. Dynamite. That's, well, let's just go into it. Because we're going to get all the men out of the way. And then we'll talk about the three leading ladies. Okay. The last man in this movie that we want to talk about is Wadsworth, the butler. Yes. Talk to me about Wadsworth. Don't tell me who played him yet. Just talk to me about the character. He was so incredible. Like, you never really knew 
what side he was on, where his head was at. Like, were you believing if he was really just there for good intentions or did he have something else in mind? So he played all the cards really close to his chest while also seeming to be like transparent about everything. It was, I, I loved it. He, he made the movie for me. <laughs> um, the character was a maniac. Like he was all over the board where it was just like, he seems so level-headed one moment and then seems like he's a chicken with his head cut off the next moment. Like you never knew where he was going or where he'd been or what was coming. You just didn't know with his character. And I found that really intriguing. But at the same time, I found it really hard to connect and or care about because he's just my narrator. He's the narrator of this movie pretty much. He guides the entire story, and so he's such an afterthought in all the happenings, except for the fact that he's being shoved down your throat the whole time. See, I found his performance captivating, like the ups and downs, like it kept me intrigued. I'm not talking about the performance, I'm talking about the character. Yeah. The performance was great, and we're going to touch about that in a second, but the character himself was too much relied upon. It was like, oh, we don't know what to do, have the butler do something. Well, I mean, it was all the butler's idea. Yeah, it just, it it works for me, but it only works for me for one reason and one reason only, and that's the actor behind the character. Yeah. Tim Curry. Oh, obviously. Like, he makes that character. I don't know if anybody else could have done it. Like, some of these other ones, I say they couldn't have been replaced, but it's possible they could have, but I don't think the butler could have been played anyone but tim curry because he has a very controlled maniacal side where it's just like he can be all over the map and yet still hyper focused at the same time i mean he is the epitome of controlled chaos correct and it's just it's it's amazing and he did such a wonderful job if you guys don't know tim curry uh first of all how dare you shame Shame, shame, shame. No, just kidding. I was going to say, there's uh, always Curry. that meme everywhere of like, you. how do you know a person by where they know J- Tim Curry from? Yeah. he. It's Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's Pennywise in Stephen King's It. The, the Not the new ones. The old one. The 1980s um, TV movie. I'm going to let you finish. But it is definitely Muppet Treasure Island. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> of course. Muppet Treasure Island. Like, this dude has been He has so much range and is just so amazing. I wish he could be in everything. And he does a lot of voice work now because, unfortunately, a couple years ago, he had a a massive stroke. Ooh, yeah. And is pretty much wheelchair-bound now. He he doesn't move a lot. But he does amazing voice work and all this stuff, ranging from things like Phineas and Ferb (laughs) to to Young Justice. Oh. Right? To Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Like, those are three very different shows. And he does a voice in all of them. And very popular shows. Yes. And he was originally the voice of the Joker. Here's a fun fact about Tim Curry, in case you guys didn't know. Uh, Batman the Animated Series from 1992. One of the best cartoons in the history of cartoons. Come at me. I don't care. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Come at me. uh, At does it hold up one three on Twitter. Come let me know. But Batman the Animated Series, one of the greatest cartoons of all time. Fight me. Mark Hamill. Yes, that Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker, is the voice of Joker. And it's brilliant. He is my Joker. But Tim Curry was the original voice of the Joker. 
He was hired. He filmed stuff, did all his recordings, was ready to go. And the producers went, we got to replace him. Why? We got to replace him. He was too scary. This is a kid's <laughs> cartoon. And they literally replaced him because he was too scary as the voice of the Joker. Well, of course, he played a different, very scary clown. Oh, absolutely. I understand it. that. But, like, he knows how to get range. I just li- listed a bunch of things. But, like, they literally were like, we will frighten children <laughs> because of this voice. Not, like, the way it looks, the way... Because of the voice. Oh, yeah. We will give kids nightmares. And that is one of my favorite stories about Tim Curry because, come on, man. I want to hear Tim Curry's Joker. And if you do a quick Google search, you actually can find a very rough recording of Tim Curry doing his Joker voice. And it's terrifying. I can't wait to do that after we're done yes. recording. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So uh, Tim Curry makes that entire character in Clue for me. I think the character is bad. I think the actor is brilliant. And I think my kind of blindness to the character is all because of Tim, Tim Curry. Curry's shining Curry. bright I mean, light. it literally, <laughs> he, he's so good. He is so good in this role. I just want him to be on the screen at all times. So. <laughs> Fair. That Fair. could be my love for Tim Curry. Absolutely. Um, okay, we're going to get into our little ladies of Clue. First up is... Eileen Brennan, who played Ms. Peacock. Yeah. Talk to me about the actress and the character. Just kind of roll this into one. The character and the actress who played her were just a bit too much for me. They were constantly on the high-pitched screeching level that I just do not care for. I didn't find it funny. I didn't connect with her. Now, do you think she was supposed to be the straight man in this? where she doesn't have as many funny lines as everybody else. Is she supposed to be the one they play off of because she's a little bit older than everybody else? She's a little bit more distinguished? No, because I think you did that with the guys. Like, I thought... I I mean, they were jokey, too, though. They were, and she did do a couple jokes, but I guess they were more towards, like, she wasn't, like, paying attention to what was happening, so what she said was kind of funny in that way. Okay. But, like, I just... I didn't see her as adding enough to it without being just like the hysterical one that they have to kind of calm down that was her role in this movie for me that's fair i was not a huge fan of this character or well i don't know i i think my dislike of the character kind of clouds me to how well the actress did in the role same because she's great she's great in everything she's an oscar nominee like best actress in a supporting role from 1980 which is only five years before this movie mm-hmm. so like she's at her peak she's there she's crushing it right now and then you just get this role and it's just a bad role she's not interesting she doesn't have anything any good character traits that are, are something to grasp onto she's just there yeah to be annoying annoying yeah like <laughs> The guys I found funny at times. The other women I found funny at times. Miss Peacock just was there. She just, especially the dinner scene at the beginning where it was just her talking for most of it. It was like, oh my God. Please stop. Turn it off. Please stop. I mean, don't turn it off because, you know, like, you make it through that scene if you can. But it's so hard to get through that scene because of her. But I don't know. I don't think that's her. I don't think. Oh, it's definitely the character. 
that's the character. And yeah. I hate it. I know. Strong I, I think we all know a Mrs. Peacock in our lives. Absolutely. And we are not a fan of that person either. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So our next character is Mrs. White, played by Madeline Kahn. Yeah. Talk to me. This character was way too hot and cold for me. Like, she was on both of the extremes. Either she was, like, deadpan, no emotion, whatever, or she, too, was, like, a screechy mess. Like, there are some lines that are uh, said, and they're just like, what are you doing with your voice? Like, that's not how normal people talk. (laughs) So, for me, it took me out of the scene whenever she kind of did that weird fluctuation in her voice. Like, there's one moment where she just kind of, like, makes a meep noise when a guy talks to her and I'm just like, what are you doing right now? What's the point? Not unlike the meeps that the dinosaurs would make in Jurassic Park if I wrote it. <laughs> if you don't get the reference, go back and listen to our Jurassic Park episode. Yeah. Meep, you'll, meep. you'll understand. Meep, meep. Um, <laughs> I, I agree. She was a little hot and cold for me where it was like some moments I was like, just your presence is great. Like the character being there adds this weird gravitas that Mm -hmm. I don't think because she seems so sophisticated and high class compared to everybody else, which is weird because they're all high class. You know, they all have money. They all have, they're all big time players, but she just like, this character adds another level, whether she actually does or not, the presence makes it go up and it's super weird. And I like that. And she does wonderfully. Like there's a whole scene where they're kind of talking about why she's there. And it's because, you know, people say she killed her husband and she goes through this whole talk about it. And it is funny. Just the way she delivers her lines and that it's so funny because she's not going nuts. She's so good. What an actress. What, what a get for this movie. Because she was also, funny enough, coming off two Academy Award nominations before this movie. 1973, Paper Moon, Best Actress in a Supporting Role. And then 1974, Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Blazing Saddles. (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? This is a two-time Oscar nominee in this movie, along with uh, Eileen Brennan, who was a one-time Oscar nominee. Crazy enough? For the same category for both these girls. Best actress in a supporting role. Both of them. And it's just crazy. Like, she is such a good actress. She's in so many things. Obviously, those two things. But she was also in Young Frankenstein. Ooh. Right? Like, she's got the chops. You hear all these men, like Christopher Lloyd and Martin Mull, and these are comedy guys. Yeah. They're comedy guys. So is she. Oh, she's yeah. A comedy and you can girl. see it. And she's great. Until she tries a little too hard. Exactly. She goes a little too far sometimes with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but she's great nonetheless. Then our last one to talk about is Leslie Ann Warren, who played Miss Scarlet. Miss Scarlet. Go ahead and talk to me. She was so entertaining. I was living for every moment that Miss Scarlet was on my screen because she was sarcastic and there for it and she was unapologetic literally they were all like oh i didn't do what i'm being blackmailed for and she's like well i did and and i i know and i, I did. own it and i don't care yeah, yeah. I, I know what i do you know and i i thought she was a wonderful female character i thought she was strong i thought she was funny well that's the thing like i i 100 agree with you because 
you don't get a lot of female characters like her anymore. She is written to be sexy. Like her secret is basically she runs a brothel. And she, she runs a high police class escort service yep. for all the big wigs in Washington, D.C. That's her job. And not only that, but then her job is also like getting secrets out of those people and she sells secrets and all this stuff. She owns it. Yeah. So she's a complete badass. She takes no crap from anyone in this whole movie. People get in her face about stuff and she's like, just shut up. I hate you. Shut up. Sit down. Don't talk to me. Yeah. And you're like, I love it. But she's also sexy as hell too. Mm-hmm. So she's strong, she's a badass, she's sexy, she's also vulnerable at parts. You don't get many characters written to the levels that this character is written and portrayed in this movie. Oh yeah. Especially I feel like for they, women. they focused heavily on her character and then like forgot to add some of that depth to some of the other characters. Exactly. Because of just how... How much range this character needs to have to yeah. make this story work. Yeah. Because she is a focus and central point of this story. And Leslie Ann Warren crushes it. Oh, yeah. Once again. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how they did it again, but they got the hat trick here. Leslie Ann Warren, 1982, nominee for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Victor, Victor-, Victor Victoria. <laughs> All three leading ladies are former Oscar nominees. No winners, though. Not, who cares? It's to be nominated is just. I'm, I'm gonna sound so cliche. I will make it up there. And like, I didn't know I was gonna win. I was just so happy to be nominated. Facts. They they all say it, but it's facts. To be nominated is huge. There are hundreds of roles every year, and only like six get nominated. And normally, like the same six every year. If you're Meryl Streep, yes. <laughs> well, uh, she deserves it, but still. So it's just crazy, though. But like for this being such a, a crazy movie, it's the first movie ever made from a board game. Yeah. Like this is not a movie that on paper probably sounds good. Like studios probably balked at this. Like you want to make what movie? About what? What? And then to get this high caliber cast, like who had blackmail on who to get these people in this movie? (laughs) Like, that's what I want to, the making of Clue must be so interesting. Somebody make it, I will make a documentary. I do not care. Somebody get on this. I need to see the making of Clue. How did you get this cast in a room together and go, read this ridiculous black comedy movie? (laughs) And make it work. And make it work beyond that. Do your best. Because this movie could have gone bad in like so many ways. Oh, this movie goes bad in so many ways. Yeah. But it just blows my mind the amount of talent that this had. Um, And then last but not least, this isn't uh, an actor or anything. This is the director. The director was Jonathan Lynn. Not a name that you'll know and or probably care about because they went on to do like my cousin Vinny, wild target greedy three men oh no he was an actor in three men and a little lady didn't really do much as a director beyond clue so well it's hard when this movie kind of flopped yeah like he did this sergeant bilko in 1996 5.8 on imdb not a good movie <laughs> my cousin Vinny's probably his best thing 
He did an episode of the Ferris Bueller TV show. They had a TV show for that? Yeah, ran for like one season only. Oh, uh, 13 okay. episodes. It was <laughs> super weird. Um, but that's it. Like, this this movie kind of derailed him. Which is kind of sad, because I, I, I kind of liked it. Yeah, a little bit. A little sad. Um, I liked a lot of the, the shots that they got, a lot of the, the, the camera work, and also just how certain characters were portrayed and performed absolutely uh so that's kind of sad but But i think so we're talking about like okay how did this how did this movie get made right Mm -hmm. so i think one of the reasons why to be honest is you'll never guess well you'll never guess anyway (laughs) (laughs) but most people wouldn't know that john landis is actually the credited story writer for this he didn't write the script he wrote the story and then had a hand on the script because I... Jonathan Lynn actually wrote the script. He wrote and directed Clue mm-hmm. with help from John Landis. Yeah, is I was that... going to say, my, my brief Googling of this movie that... got me that name. <laughs> yeah, but does that, like, anything for you? No. John Landis? No. It sounds familiar, but it's not one that I'm like, I know exactly what that is. Okay, well, he directed things like Coming to America a huge movie. Yeah. Huge movie. Three Amigos, Spies Like Us, um, Twilight Zone, the movie, Trading Places, An American Werewolf in London, The Bruise Brothers, National Lampoon's Animal House. Did, now, did he write the screenplay for those or is it just a this story? This is his directing. Those are directing? These are his directing. Oh. And the, those were a lot of those were before Clue or like right before Clue. So like he was a name. Yeah. Put his name on this story by, that's probably why studios were like, uh, we'll take a gamble <laughs> because that's not a name that just, I mean, he's still working to this day doing, I, I think he might be retired officially now. Well, no, I lied. He currently just directed uh, Stan Lee's superhero kindergarten, a TV show in 2021. Oh goodness. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about it, but like he's still working and he's well known. He did three episodes of psych Ooh, I love back psych. in 2007. Like that's how it got made. All right. Case solved. <laughs> <laughs> Throw John Landis's name on something, it, it's probably going to get picked up. Um, okay, so, talking about the movie. Here's the thing. It had a $15 million budget, which in 1980, like, doesn't sound like that much compared to what, all the big blockbusters we get now, but in yeah. 1985, that's a decent sum. That would be something akin to, like, a $40 million movie now. Okay. You know, we that, like, mid-budget movie. Not an independent feature, not a Marvel blockbuster, that mid-range that we are desperate for. Because I know. We I feel like more. we never get them. We don't. They just always go like, you know what? What they do now is they go, hey, this script is is okay. Like if the Clue script came to somebody's desk today, they'd be like, this is pretty good. I'll, I'll totally make this movie. Here's $100 million. Yeah. Because they don't know how to, they think throwing money at it is going to make it better. And that's not always the case. case. You need to have enthusiasm for it. Hello, Netflix, the gray man. You threw 200 million at it and it didn't work. Yeah, it was not a good movie. Like, you had two good actors in it and that's the only thing that held it together. And even that they didn't do so well. Well, Well, one did. First of all, don't, don't you ever disrespect Chris Evans like that. I, that was a mistake by me. Chris Evans was amazing. You you know my love for him. I do. Um, it is obsessive. Before even Captain America. Let's just, let's just get that straight. He's literally seen every single thing that Chris Evans has done. And I've made you watch almost every single one. Yes. Which like, I hadn't already watched. Yes. So, yeah. Don't disrespect him. I never. Um, but $15 million 
it's pretty good money. It's a mid-budget movie in 1985. Yeah. Here's where it all went wrong. So I, I'm going to throw two numbers at you because for some reason they have different f- totals for this. Oh, trust me. I actually, when I was going through my Google searching, because I was trying to find some stuff for a later section that we're going to have, yeah. um, I found a third number. Oh, you found a third? Okay, cool. Which, I can't wait to hear it. terrible. So normally I use the numbers.com because they're really accurate and they give a lot of good information. I used to use Box Office Mojo more, yeah. but then they put everything behind a paywall. I was like, <sighs> I'm, I'm not going to pay for it. That's Screw you guys. Stop it. Um, so the numbers.com has it at domestic total, 13 million three hundred and seventy seven thousand two hundred and sixty one that is one point seven one point six million mm-hmm. below its budget yeah that's that's classified entirely as a flop 100 percent. so it didn't work yeah box office mojo who you can at least get the base number for you can't get anything deeper than that can't break it down by weekend can't unless you pay but mm-hmm. they'll give you the they'll give you the total they have it at fourteen million six hundred and forty-three thousand nine hundred and ninety-seven. I don't know where this one point three million discrepancy comes in, but at least Box Office Mojo puts it closer to its budget, but still under. And the thing is, you can't just make your budget back, because you have to do marketing, you have to do home release, you have to you spend more money than the budget. Yeah. You need to make like two to three times your budget to be profitable. <laughs> this one couldn't even make its budget back. Which is so sad. So sad. All right, hit me with you. What's your third number? My third number, which I think is completely wrong, was only $3 million. Okay, I don't... Yeah. I don't even know how they came like, up whole, with that number. Where'd you get that from? Do you the, remember? Uh, it was like some list. Like, I went through like so many different fact lists about this, and I'm like, this is so wrong. But I thought I had to bring it up because I knew you had discrepancies in numbers. So it was just. I wonder so if that weird. was like a more of like a home release kind of number. Like could either be home release, home release or like maybe the first weekend or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it could have been. Well, as far as I understood from the two sites that I used, first weekend was somewhere around like two and a half million. So it could have been that, just a little bit of a discrepancy. Yeah, but, but it was just so weird. That's super weird. I, this is why I don't trust like random lists. I go to the actual sites because I'm like, I, I, <laughs> you guys do your research. You know what you're doing. If you guys ever want to know box office stuff, check out the numbers.com, the hyphen numbers.com, a great site. Oh, yeah. It, it will give you stuff from all the way back to like 1975. You can just, it's great. Trust me, none but, of the other things that I will be bringing up are from just one thing. Like yeah. I, I double checked oh, absolutely. everything else. Um. But again, if you guys don't want to look stuff up, always just come back to us. Every movie we talk about from here on out, we're always going to discuss box office stuff because it's interesting for me. I'm a numbers guy. I love numbers. He won't stop with numbers. Literally everything is an Excel spreadsheet. Everything's numbers. (laughs) I I see the world in matrix code. Everything is numbers. Um, So it's just great. Okay. Roger Ebert, who is like everyone's favorite critic of all time. Like he is the guy who made critics popular. I feel like his name is synonymous with critics. Right, like if you're like, hey, who's Roger Ebert? Like some random person is going to be like, I know who that is. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Doesn't actually know who that is. They're like, I've never seen a movie in my entire life, but I know the name Roger Ebert. Yeah. He's that synonymous with movies. What did he have to say? So he reviewed this movie when it first came out in 1985, and he gave it two stars. Oof. Here is a little excerpt from his review. Since none of these events have the slightest significance, the filmmakers have attempted to make Clue into a screwball comedy with lots of throwaway gags and one-liners. 
Some of these moments of comedy are funny, most are not. The cast looks promising, but the screenplay is so very, very thin that they spend most of their most of their time looking frustrated, as if they've just been cut off right before they were about to say something interesting. That's an excerpt from his review of Clue in 1985. I feel like I don't trust him about anything anymore. <laughs> He's because I don't agree <laughs> at all. All right, talk to me. Why don't you agree? I what 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 didn't. I thought it was funny as all heck. Maybe this movie was just ahead of its time because this movie today would be top tier comedy, or at least to me. And I, you know, I love my like dry humor, that kind of humor that's like wordplay that's not like there to be funny, but situational. Like someone makes a, a comment and it's funny because someone else misunderstood the comment. Like that's my kind of humor. So maybe it's just directed at me, but. The, so, the comedy hit for me. And maybe he wasn't paying enough attention. Here's here's the thing about Ebert. He wasn't a big comedy guy. But he also understands that comedy is very uh, subjective. Yeah. What works for you might not work for other people. And he understood that. I think that's why he gave it two stars. It was more his... He doesn't like that kind of comedy. But then again, Ebert, I, I've seen the movie that you helped write and direct and do all that. It, it, if you think this is bad, come on, man. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, I don't even know what movie that don't, is. Don't, but... don't, don't. You can Google it later. I don't <laughs> want to go into it. I, I'd spend another hour talking about it. Oof. Okay. Um, but so I, I have to take his review with a little bit of a grain of salt because I think he looked at it as in, I don't appreciate this type of humor because he goes on in his review to say that things do work. He loves the cast. He thinks they're all amazing. He thinks like some of it was genius. So I think it just didn't hit on all levels for him, and it just brought his grade down. That's all. That is always the hardest thing about critics, though, is, you know, and I've, I'm one of those people that I struggle with this as well, of if I just don't like something, I just don't like something. Right. But you like, have to be able to look at it critically, though. Exactly, and that's why he touches upon it. That's why it could have been worse. Two yeah. is not the worst score he's ever given. Trust me, he's done a lot worse. I am. Um, but it's why things like Rotten Tomatoes are such a big thing right now. Like, I don't listen to critics, period. If a critic tells me a movie is great, that I have no bearing with that. That gives that's no bearing on me, because I might hate it. Oh, trust Even me, there's movies that like, have like a nineteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think it's like wonderful. Yeah. So I mean, like, <laughs> Puncture with Chris Evans is terribly rated. I still like it, not just because it's Chris Evans. It's a very interesting movie to see, me. See, I thought of a different Chris Evans movie of <laughs> What's Your Number? Yeah, exactly. Like there are. Just, it's it's all your own thoughts. So I don't really listen to critics, but it's a good overall, like, what... A gauge. Yeah, a gauge. So I had to check. Currently, the Rotten Tomatoes score for Clue is critics, 68%. Okay. That's not bad. Nah, I've seen much worse. So much worse. I mean, that's fresh. Yeah. Anything over 60% is fresh. I mean, there's Marvel movies that are lower than 68%. Because they deserve it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thor, Love, and Thunder, I'm looking at you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, not bad. Here's where it gets interesting, though. Yeah. Because this movie bombed. We already talked about that. Yeah. But it's going on to be a cult classic. Like, I think Tim Curry just makes cult classic movies. I don't think he knows how to do, like, a movie that's good when it first comes out. I was going to say, he can't be mainstream. Because even it, the yeah. TV movie, like, 
it was fine when it came out. But then people really started to love it. Like, when the new It came out, it was a whole thing about, like, well, it's not as good as the 1990 TV movie. And it was like, guys, they're not comparable, number one. <laughs> and number two, like, it's fine. But, like, people fell in love with it, but it didn't do well. Like, people didn't watch it when it was on TV. So basically what you're telling me is Tim Curry's always just ahead of his time. Yeah, absolutely. He just makes stuff ahead of his time. People are going to love it later. Yeah. Because this has an 86 audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. I'm here for it. Audiences love it. I'm here for it. Current audiences are like, I can't get enough of Clue. Give me more. Yes. Cool. All right. Whew, that was a lot. That was a lot to break down. It okay. doesn't help that there's like 17 million characters. Yeah, that that was really... And they weren't just like side characters. They were all played by famous actresses and actors we had to touch upon. Oh, yeah. All right. So our next, our next section here is what works, what doesn't work. Yes. All right. So hit me with a couple of them. All right. For me, major things that worked, uh, like I've said before, was the dry and witty humor. That tickles my funny bone nonstop. I love that quick humor that you really have to be paying attention to the dialogue for to get it. But it also had that physical comedy that is wonderful. Like, I, th- I thought the comedy worked 100%. Um, it also had a great amount of, like, insane detail. So much so that... Well, like you said, you can't... You have to watch the movie. You have to watch the movie. Like, pay attention it. to the movie. Not just because... put it on TV. You have to watch the movie. Yes. I actually had to watch it twice just to make sure I had everything. Because there's so many great little details in this movie that make you... Or you're trying to figure out who did it. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's the classic who done it, And you are constantly being like, oh, well, the dogs didn't bark when this person came in. So maybe they've been yeah, there it's not, before. It's not Knives Out. <laughs> it's, yes. It's not as... I get it. it I get it. Um, I agree like that there are so many little details that work where it's like even the background acting when, when, you know, let's say Leslie and Warren's in front and she's doing her thing in front of the camera and you're, you're transfixed on her because Mm -hmm. she's amazing, but also watch everybody in the background because they're all doing something and it's very character motivated and it's great. Oh yeah. You'll have someone reacting to something that you're like, oh my gosh. They know that this thing actually happened before, so they must be in it, in, you know, involved. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, there is so much that is there to kind of digest and, like, go through that you do have to watch it multiple times to get everything. Okay. What else worked for you? Uh, another thing is the wonderful, subtle nods to the board game. Like, you can do this kind of story. There's been tons of whodunits that have that idea but the subtlety of the nods in this really make it work where it doesn't feel like it's smacking you upside the head of this is the board game clue well it does and it doesn't right it does smack you in the face that this is the board game clue a few times does it in a way that you're like i'm i'm okay with this i accept you for doing it this way and there's a few nods that are subtle and then there's a few nods that are like right in your face but it's because the rest were subtle that i'm okay with it the guy who's blackmailing everybody yeah when they all find out they're getting, bl- this is the guy and blah, blah, blah. And we didn't talk about him. His name's Mr. Body, um, played by some musician. He's not very good. So I didn't want to talk about him. I didn't mind him, actually. Yeah, he, was, he, he was so flat. Yeah, but he played menacing well enough that I was like, was okay. Was he though? Because he just, he just looked like he was there. I didn't get his whole thing. Okay, maybe I got more out of him than you did. <laughs> yeah, I, apparently. This is 
This is uh, Mean Girls all over again. Yes, I'm reading way too much into characters. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> uh, he just did nothing for me, but he brings a suitcase full of gifts, and he hands everybody the gifts. And this is one of those moments where it knocks you over the head with, ha, 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 did you get that reference? It's from the board game. But it works. Yeah. Because it gives them all gifts, and they're all the weapons from the board game. Scarlet opens up a box, it's a candlestick. White opens up a box, it's a noose. Like, everybody, I think Plum opens up, uh, no, Mustard opens up a box, it's the revolver. Mm -hmm. Like, it's all the the weapons. But it works. Even though it's so in your face, it fits perfectly with this comedy that they're going for. It also fits in the story well enough. Right, because then he turns around and he goes, all right, well, you all have a weapon now. And uh, that guy is the only one who can release your secrets. Who can release your secrets. So I'm going to turn off the lights and kill him. So it's like he had to give them a weapon in some way. It was just a little over the over the head, yeah. a little on the nose with the weapons. But I I don't know. I liked it. Yeah, and maybe it's because it's a comedy that those kind of more in your face nods are uh, much more acceptable than they would be another at Right, if this was a stri- if this was a drama or like a more serious movie, that scene doesn't work. Yeah. At all. Because it's a comedy, these little net references and nods can can play out well. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else you got for works? Those were my main ones. I want to see what you have to say. So what I think works is it's a board game. It doesn't have anything to it. Like when you look at the, the cards for the people when you're playing the game, there's no story. There's yeah. no background. There's no anything. What I work, what I think worked really well in this movie was crafting a story around nothing. It's just characters. But, like, the way I'm picturing the cards in my head, and I even had to go look them up, and it's like, the way I see some of these characters drawn on these cards, these characters match. Like, the way Plum comes across on his cards, I'm like, dude, you're that skeevy professor who's always, like, trying to look up girls' skirts when they're sitting down and, like, <laughs> making them stay. Like, that's what he looks like on the card. So for them to grab that and bring that to the movie, like, that works for me. I feel like they had such a great love of that game. So much so that they could have a great love for this movie. Like exactly. They, they put enough effort into bringing that game to this movie that it just works. Exactly. So, all right, what do you got for doesn't work? Uh, my huge one was the constant leering at the female characters. And I know that was, like, some of the characters, like, I mean, like, Professor main... Plum's a, a complete perv. That's his, whole, that's his whole thing. That's his one note. Because yeah. I'm with you on that. Some but we the, also have Colonel Mustard doing it, Some too. of the characterization didn't work for me. I mean, I, I appreciate what they did yeah. and how they crafted a story, but some of it went a little too far, and that's what didn't work. Like, Plum just, every time a vet shows up, he's looking down her, her blouse. Like, and, no matter what she's doing. And while it's played for laughs, it's still just so degrading, and right, it's like, like, it really limits that character of y- uh, Yvette? Yvette. Yvette. Uh, to being I just that yeah, yeah. sex symbol. And it's like, guys, rule of three exists in comedy for a reason. Because if you go beyond that, sometimes things get played out and they're no longer funny. Yeah. This wasn't funny. The first time, like when they're sitting at dinner and she leans over and her breasts are right in his face. Ah, okay. I'll give it to you there. Well, when I... she's across the room leaning over somebody else and he's still staring from across the room, mm-hmm. doesn't work for me. Like, I don't mind the first one because even Miss Scarlet does the same exact oh, yeah. thing when she's right there. But 
it was just it constantly. Which is funny though, because we we find out later that Yvette worked for Miss Scarlet as an escort. So it's like, is she looking at her because of that? Like, oh. Is she checking her out to be like, oh, damn, I picked good girls. No, I oh, think it's so good. just, oh, you have those out on full display. Okay. <laughs> just such a, such a weird moment. Like, such I think if, that w- if this movie was made today, that character would have a lot more to her, and you wouldn't have her in such skimpy thing. Like, people can still be... To, no, you can still notice a per- character's, like interesting look or physique I mean, or whatever and she doesn't she's in that classic sexy maid outfit though like what else do you yeah put but her that's in? halloween what you, what, sexy what do you put maid. her in you put her in like a long dress that covers everything no just make it more modest not I like it doesn't have to be it can still be quote-unquote sexy but it doesn't have to be like but like what are you talking about like, i'm you, showing all of my boobs you, and you, you want can see my dress? butt if i move slightly do you want to dress do you want to have her dress like a maid from the help or something like what no. do you what do you want no, just you gotta have a sexy maid. She's a sexy maid. You can be sexy without well, showing can, everything. But again, here, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the feminist in this conversation for a second. Yeah. Why can't she dress sexy? Maybe just don't have the men look. That's just because she dresses like that doesn't mean they need to look. That is true. So don't change her. Maybe change them. I think like, change them both. I think no, no, no. It's fine. Um, like I don't mind plum looking a few times. But a few times. Yeah. But it's every time they're in a room together. Like, he goes out of his way. So, at one point in the movie, they have to draw matchsticks. And so that they can team up to go explore the mansion and find clues. And just to see if there's another person there. Yeah, exactly. Because they did something that other movies like this did not do. And just assume that everyone is okay. Yeah. Exactly. So, (laughs) they have to draw matchsticks of all different lengths so that they can pair up. Plum draws one, and he imme- he's trying to find the one to match up to Yvette. Yeah. And it's just like, that's a step too far. You've For the last 30 minutes, we've watched you leer at her and get really weird about it, especially because he does it with Scarlet as well. Yeah. And it's like, you're just, you're going too far with it. But then Back he it gets matched up with Mrs. Peacock, and he still makes... A, a weird comment A to weird her. look and a weird... Like, so, oh, hey. There's just certain like, characterizations that I think start well, yeah, but just drag way too long. Yeah. So and I, it just... It, if it were made today, I don't think it would have oh, quite hold that, that hold much. That, hold that. Um, all right. What else do you have that doesn't work? Uh, some of the overacting. Like like Mrs. Some? Some. Some. Because it's I mean, a comedy. Whole, yeah, the whole movie's overacting, and it doesn't work for me a lot of times. Okay, for me, it was mostly Mrs. Peacock and Mrs. White. Like, they're over, over the top, because this is a comedy. It's supposed to be a little bit of the extreme to get those kind of laughs. I get it. So the most of the overacting, totally fine. It's just when it gets to that screechy, weird spot that I'm just like, Like this the when Mrs. Peacock thinks she was poisoned, and oh. it's just constant screaming. First of all, annoying as hell but it leads to a great moment where mr green slaps her yeah and everybody kind of like audibly <gasps> gasps like how do why did how, how dare, dare you? you how could you hit a woman and he turns around and he's like i had to stop her from screaming which leads to a wonderful spot of when wadsworth is recreating it he and also he slaps, slaps her. her too and then he turns around and says i had to stop her from screaming in the same tone yeah. as mr green great callback so it led to something funny, but it was just... Ugh. Yeah, I agree with you. There was a lot of overacting in this movie, and it definitely could distract from a lot of moments. Yes. Where you're like, oh, this moment probably could have been better yes. if you would have just 
you know, I'm going to steal a line from Spinal Tap since it was already me- mentioned. Just don't go to 11. Yeah. 10 is, 10 is okay. Yeah, definitely. You don't have to go to 11. Don't make 10 louder. <laughs> just, just go to 10. Don't go to 11. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. Anything else you got on it that doesn't work? Uh, for me, the multiple endings leads to a lot of plot holes. Uh, well, we'll get there in a second, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a little bit of time talking about those. Yeah. Um, what didn't work for me is the length of the movie. I think this is a movie that could have served better by an extra 10 minutes. A lot of these scenes move way too fast, where by the time you're grasping what just happened, we're already on to something else. And it's just like, guys, slow down. Let me take in what's happening before we rush to the next thing. Do I think a lot of the comedy would have worked as well in a little bit slower of a pace? No. But you can be a good enough writer to get the comedy beat still there with a slower pace. See, and not a lot. Just ten minutes. I want to put this in your mind. Maybe take a, a little bit out of the uh, splitting up to search the house. Take some time out of there and put it towards other aspects. I mean, because they the, spend a long time. I mean, that's the bulk of the movie. I can't change the bulk of the movie, but what I can do is I can add beats to those other scenes. I just, it feels really rushed to me, and I don't think that worked very well. Oh, for me, it, it I didn't mind it because it was that whole chaotic energy that I loved yeah, in the movie. So. But one of my biggest problems with it is, one, it's too chaotic, and yeah. two, it ramps up to 11 out of nowhere. It's That's at a two, true. and then next scene, it's at an 11. As soon as that first body shows up... It is chaotic. It's immediate chaos for the rest. And this movie is something... It jumps into it pretty quick. Yeah. We get this weird scene of them at dinner, and it's nice and slow, but then as soon as they're going, they're going. Mm-hmm. But that's the problem, is like... Think of it like a, a like a indie car racing. Like, yeah, you're going to have that straightaway where you get to just floor it. But there's always turns. You gotta slow down for those turns so that you can readjust before you get going again. Yeah. And this movie just doesn't do that. It it goes from two to eleven, stays at eleven, and I think even sometimes tries to jump to like a thirteen. And I just it's a little too much. Just back it down a little bit. That's all. Add I could, more time I could see that. so that you can back it down a little bit. That's the main thing. That's one of the things that really work for me. Alright, up next is our Unless you got something else that didn't work. You got anything else? Um, kind of gave me a look like you might have something. Yeah. The, and this is a, a probably a personal choice, but the weird occasional thunder was so weird to me. Like, I know they played it for laughs in certain I mean, it's a storm spot. outside. Yeah, but it was, like, gone for, like, half the movie, and then all of a sudden it'd come back. Yeah. So they weren't consistent with it, and it was just, it didn't, it didn't make me chuckle. The way ah, I think they wanted fair. it to. That's fair. Okay. So that is probably a really nitpicky uh, thing that didn't work for me, but it it's there. <laughs> it's fair. Uh, okay, moving on. Next uh, section we got here is a new one. It's our fun with Google. Ooh, so okay. normally I drop fun facts throughout our podcast, but I feel like, you know what, let's marinate on some of these. Let's kind of throw them all into a, into a pot together so that we can get a lot of more fun out of it. Okay. So here we go. Do, 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 fun with Google. All right. <laughs> That's not fun our jingle. Fun times at Google High. Yeah. All right. So here's a couple things. You're right. I think they did love the board game yes. because the layout of the mansion is the board game. 
The rooms that are supposed to be next to each other are next to each other. Mm-hmm. And the secret passages, so there's the secret passages that they can go from one room to another in this mansion. They're correct. That was actually one of mine. <laughs> is if you go through this secret passage from the conservatory, you end up in the kitchen. Yes. Like, it, it works. So they definitely spent time figuring that out and making it work. And that's and not something that. that you would necessarily, like, unless you're looking at a Clue board game that you would have memorized. No. I mean, so, my first watch, I did not notice that. I didn't either. Subsequent watches, all of a sudden I was like, because I love Clue. Nobody will play Clue with me. Because you I, get you win in, like, two moves. Yeah. That's not the point. <laughs> Somebody play Clue with me. Um so, like, I'm a, I'm a big Clue fan, but I didn't even realize it because I was so engrossed in the story. Mm-hmm. And it took me a couple watches, and then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute. Is that right? They left that room. They did, they went that way. They turned, and they went, oh, my God, that's the right room. And it slowly clicked. And I wasn't sure if I was making it up in my head because I wanted it to be, but, hey, Google said so. so. Oh, yeah. I have not played Clue in years, so I would never have noticed this if uh, Google did not let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, next up is the singing telegram lady who comes to serenade somebody for some reason. She has a beautiful voice. Oh, she's great. Uh, That's because she's in the band The Go-Go's. Big, huge female band from the 80s. Is she Uh, the singer? No, she's the rhythm guitarist. She should have been the they, singer. They, they all kind of share vocals. She's not the lead vocalist, but they all have vocals. That's fair. So just a nice little cameo. Just drop in and go, hey, did you guys recognize her? We should really have singing telegrams. Hell yeah, dude. Somebody send me a singing telegram. They are... It, Hit it me up on so Twitter. Fun. I'll give you my address. Send me a singing telegram. That'd be great. Don't give out your address. That, <laughs> no, that is fine. a terrible idea. I don't idea. care about Twitter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Did you get lost? Yeah, I got a little. I didn't know which. I didn't know which fun Google I wanted to go with next. Um, so another thing is, so this movie got a Blu-ray release a couple years back, about ten years back. The thing is, though, the studio because it made no money for them at the time, and the rights got passed around to a few different places. They didn't do a special feature. There is no special features on the Blu-ray. None. Wow. The director was like, hey, do you guys want me to do like a commentary and all that? And I can call some of the cast and we can all come together and we could do something. The studio was like, no. And just put out a Blu-ray. Release a special edition, cowards. Yeah. I want to hear their commentary. I think it would be amazing. Release the commentary cut. <laughs> Hashtag commentary cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's really sad, too. And when you try to go find this movie, you cannot find an HD version. No, it's all SD, which is insane. Because I feel like everything. just doesn't care. They just, whoever owns the rights just doesn't care. It's like, guys, it's loved. We care. Yeah, remaster this thing. Um, Next up is, did you know that Clue, this movie, Mm -hmm. then spawned a miniseries? I did not. A video game. I did not. And several books. I could see that, but I did not. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, God damn, I got, do I have to read these books? I feel like I do. I feel like I got to find these books. Yeah, and but they're, they're not going to actually off... feature Tim Curry, so. Yeah, mm. they're, not, they're not off the game. They're off the movie. Are the same writers? I have no idea. Oh. I'll Again, this is just that. fun times with Google. I didn't go that deep into it. You didn't you go want... down the rabbit hole? No, no. <laughs> um, so, you, you touched upon this earlier. There are three endings to this movie. Are you going to say my so, other fun time with Google? Yeah, fact? go ahead. Give me, give me, what's your fun time with Google fact? There's actually... Nope, nope, that's not what I was going to say. Hold that for just a second. Okay. <laughs> so, one of the reasons that 
this movie didn't work, and this has been studied and everything, is nobody cared that there were three endings. The studio went, put three endings out because the movie's going to be loved, and they're going to get one ending. And then they're going to have to go back to all these other theaters to find the three endings so they can see them all. What actually happened was people went, I'm sorry, what ending did you get? What happened at the end of your movie? That didn't happen to them. And it pissed people off, and therefore they boycotted the movie. It 100% backfired on the producers doing three endings. Yeah, I, I would have been pissed So too. one of the things that Ebert said in his review was the three endings don't work. Sometimes you could figure out what theater was playing what ending based on it would say like clue with a little A. Yeah. With a little sub A on it. So that way you could be like, oh, that's ending A. Because then it'd have a sub B or a sub C. So you could kind of figure out what ending it might be. Mm-hmm. The studio forgot which ending was A, B, and C. <laughs> so even they couldn't have told you at the time. But it didn't work. Ebert actually said the best thing is if you ever watch this movie on home release now, when it when it debuted on television and when it went to VHS and then DVD and stuff, they just put all three endings in a row. They yeah. were just like, here's one ending. And then a little old-fashioned black and white silent pictures card came up and said... Uh, that's how it could have ended. Yeah, but that's what could have happened. But what about this? Yep. And it showed you the second ending and then did it again and then showed you the third ending. And Ebert was like, that's brilliant. Yeah. Do If they would have put that in every theater, he thinks this movie would have went huge. Mm-hmm. And it just, it completely backfired on them. Question for you. Yes. What ending is your canon? Ooh, we're going to get there. Oh, okay. Okay, give me, I also have this fun time with Google Fact. Yes. But go ahead, hit me. Did you know... There is actually a fourth ending. Yes. Well, I did, but I don't know if our listeners did, so tell them. Yes. Uh, So there was a fourth ending that they did shoot, and they they tried to get through, but they said was just too dark, too bleak, and it was the idea that Wadsworth killed everyone. He was the only killer, and he did it with a slow-acting poison, which I don't understand, but you know. Well, they all drank the cognac at the beginning. Which is fine, but then they died by various other means. Mm-hmm. So it it makes no sense. Wasn't working fast enough. Ah. So that is just crazy to me that they had all these endings and then they had a fourth one too. Well, not only did he kill everybody, but then he ends up getting shot at the end as well yeah. in the fourth ending. It's super bleak. Everybody dies. It's It's basically murder house at that point. Yeah. Like every single character that does die in the movie... Plus all of our main characters, everybody dies. Yeah. And they were like, and they shot it. Yeah. They made it. And the studio was like, absolutely not. Yeah. This is way too bleak. This will never fly. And even the, the director, Jonathan Lynn, was mm-hmm. like, ah, uh, no, let's cut that. I mean, they even had to reshoot one of the actual endings for it because it was too dark where uh, the one where Mrs. Peacock did it uh, was supposed to end where she got shot. And they just thought it was too dark. They had to redo it where she They gets... didn't even reshoot it, though. They no, no. just did some ADR where she just has a line of like, do you know who I am? I'm a senator's wife. And it's her getting arrested instead of getting exactly. shot. Exactly. But the, the actual film that you're watching is her dead. Yes. Like, she's supposed to be dead. And when he says, all right, get her, boys, that's them picking up the body to, like, yeah. transport it, this dead body. But instead, they threw that line in off screen so that she could still be alive. So they were really dark when they coming up with the... <laughs> Good job, John Landis. He wanted to go real dark with this. Yes. Um, yeah, I... I'm That is one of the best decisions I've probably ever heard. 
not having that fourth ending. Yeah, it would have made absolutely no sense No, to me. it would have been bad. All right, so speaking of the endings, uh, do you have anything else? Fun time with Google. No, that was my, cool. my main ones. Speaking of the endings, they have three endings on this movie. If you watch the home release, you're going to get all three in order, in this order. Yes. Ending A, Miss Scarlet did it. Yes. With Yvette, though. Yeah. So Yvette killed a couple people, and then Miss Scarlet killed Yvette and one person. The cop and the... Uh... The cop and the sting telegram. Yes. Lady. So she killed those two people plus Yvette. Yvette killed Mr. Body and the cook. Yes. Okay. Interesting. We're going to talk about that. Ending B, Miss Peacock did it. Yes. And she did all of it. She was the only one. Yeah. And then ending C, everyone did it. Everyone did something. Every main person killed one person so that they all were guilty in some form. Yeah. Okay? All right. Talk to me about the endings. What do you think? Don't give me what your canon ending is. Okay. Just talk to me about each ending. Okay. I, see, and this is where I had some problems because each one had some plot holes throughout the movie. Ending A. Go. Okay. Ending A, uh, I thought made a lot of sense. It was obviously the first one I saw. So I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's how it should end. Right. Um, I thought it worked. All right. So you said there was plot holes in every ending, but I think this one doesn't have plot holes. They answer it by having two killers, Yvette and Miss Scarlet. Miss Scarlet, mm-hmm. obviously being the whole mastermind makes sense because there's no way one person could have done every death in that amount of time, in that order. Yes. So this one makes the most sense to me. I'm sure there is a plot hole somewhere, and I'm just not thinking of it right now because it's hard when you have multiple endings. Yeah, so this one makes sense to me. Yes. Ending B. Makes the least sense to me. The least amount of sense. Because she's on a different floor for some of them. She has to, like, get away from people to do things, like... It makes no sense, even though they try to make it make sense. I think this is the one, I think this was like their, we need to get a big swerve in there. So we're going to be, it's going to be the least likely person is going to be the murderer, no matter how it makes sense. We just need to trick the audience. Yeah. I think that was this ending. I hate those endings. Yeah. It's why like M. Night Shyamalan doesn't work for me because he always puts a twist, whether it needs a twist or not. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was this ending. It was just like, throw, yeah. be wild, throw a curveball. This is definitely the one with the most plot holes, and too. just doesn't work for me. All right, ending C, everyone, go. This one also makes a lot of sense because at some point or another, there are characters that are not accounted for. So it yeah, I mean, makes we're sense only looking that. at the two characters upstairs in the attic. We don't know what everybody else is doing. So one of them could have been sneaking away. And it's the only one that makes sense with Mr. Body's death. Being like he wasn't dead the first time because it was Mr. Plum, or Professor Plum, sorry, uh, who kills him. But he's also the one who says he wasn't, he's dead at the beginning of it. Yeah. So it makes no sense for the other ones that he would say and that this is the that only character one, is dead. This is the only one where the butler did it. In ending A and B, he's either like an FBI agent who's undercover there. Or he works for the government in some capacity. I was going to say, I think he's FBI both times. Um, But in this one, he's a killer. Yeah, he's the blackmailer. Yeah. 
And the person we thought was the blackmailer was actually his butler. Yeah, he's Mr. Body in this one who's brought them all together blackmailing them. Yes. Um, I, I, okay, so now that we kind of discussed each ending, what is it? What's your ending? My ending is actually A, Miss okay. Scarlet. Tell me why. Why is A your ending? I find it to be a more interesting story uh, with Yvette doing half of it and then Miss Scarlet kind of... Uh, tying up all the loose ends. Okay. So I just, and I, I pick her as being a bad guy. Like she, she is the one that I was like, yes, I could see you doing this. Okay. Yeah. What about you? Um, so my ending is C. Okay. That Um, makes sense. For, for two reasons. One, I think it's the ending that the director and the writer, the John Landis and Jonathan Lynn set out to make. Mm-hmm. I think that's the ending they originally wanted. It's why when you watch it on home release, it's the third ending. Which because says this is actually what happens. Yes, this is the ending. So I just have to go, hey, that's the ending they wanted. That's the ending I'm going with. But also I think it just makes sense. None of these people are good people. Mm-hmm. They all have a reason. They're all connected to each other in some way and connected to the cook, Yvette, Mr. Body, the cop that dies, the motorist, they're all connected in some way. And they all the people that die know one of their secrets. Yes. So I think it just makes the most sense that they all have a hand in doing it. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna correct you for one aspect. Nope. There's one good guy. I know. We didn't talk about him yet. They all have secrets. Sure. <laughs> they all have secrets. So in A, there's one per well, everybody's innocent except Miss Scarlet. Yes. And Yvette. In B, everybody's innocent except Miss Peacock, who yes. did it all. In C, everyone's innocent, everyone's or everyone's guilty. guilty, except one person, Mr. Green. Yes. Who ends up being an actual FBI agent, has the badge and everything, and he's undercover trying to figure out, trying to take all these people down. And he's not even gay. And he's not even gay. He has a wonderful line. So in ending C... Tim Curry, Wadsworth, ends up being the actual Mr. Body, the blackmailer. And everybody kills everybody because Body set it up. He, he invited the singing telegram lady. He set up for the cop to show up. He set up for the motorist and all this. He set it all up so they could all die so he could blackmail these people more. And then at the end, he's like, I'm getting away with it. And before we all know Mr. Green's an FBI agent, he shoots him. Shoots him dead. Yep. And everybody's like, what the hell? And he's like, I'm an FBI agent. And everybody's like, oh my God, yay. And they're all excited. And then the cops come bursting through the doors and start arresting everybody. And he's like, they all did it. Except who shot Mr. Body. That was me. In the hallway. With the revolver. (laughs) And it's just such a great line because it's like a clear... And it's also one of the reasons I think this is the ending. Because it's a clear nod to the game. And the point of the game is to figure out who did it, with what weapon, in what room. Yeah. And his line is literally, it was me in the hall with the revolver. Like, that's solving the game. Yeah. And that's why I think this is the ending. But then he also goes, and now I'm going to go home and have sex with my wife. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, I'm sorry. Wait, hold on. Back up. You're not even gay? <laughs> like, you just faked <laughs> being gay so that you could have a secret? Yep. That we were building back. Oh, my God. It's so good. That's why C is my ending. But I think it's interesting that Mr. Green, no matter what ending you get, is always innocent. 
He's he, the only innocent he one. He didn't do it. He didn't. The whole movie, he's screaming he didn't do it because he didn't actually do it. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Final section, guys. We're going to go into our awards here. So up first, we have our Paddington Award, which is just for a scene, a person, or a moment that melts your heart and you just feel for. Who do you got? Mr. Greens, I didn't do it. All right. Talk to me. Every single time, it just kind of melts my heart a little bit more when he's like, I didn't do it. Like, because especially the one that really got me was when uh, the cook falls on him. Like, she's dead. Falls on him. And he's just like... I didn't do it. Like, it, it gets me every time. Like, I so that, love it. Him him saying I didn't do it throughout the movie just melts your heart? Yes. All right. I don't know why. It just does. I, I mean, this, Michael McKean was so good as Mr. Green. It yes. makes perfect sense. Uh, my Paddington Award goes to the singing telegram lady. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, every time I watch this movie, it's like the one part of the movie I don't chuckle at. Because I'm like... Yeah, it comes out later. She was one of the students that Professor Plum slept with which melts my heart even more because mm-hmm. she got taken advantage of by a teacher. But it's like, or by a by a psychiatrist, yeah. her therapist, she got taken advantage of. So I'm like, melts my heart there. But I'm like, she's literally just there to do her job. Like the cop's a cop. You got to take him out. The motorist is a little bit like he's going to call the cops and get them all in trouble. Like Everybody has a reason. They're a little shady. They're a little like, yeah. we got to cover our tracks. This girl just shows up at the door to do her job, has a wonderful voice, sings these cute little notes, and boom, shot dead. Yeah. And I'm just like, God, come on. She's the real victim here. Yeah. Screw you all. Bring back singing telegram lady. (laughs) Um, So that's my Paddington Award. Next up is the Jim Carrey Award, the person that you think is most non-recognized for this role. Like, they are underappreciated for this movie. Who do you got? I want to say it's Leslie Ann Warren for Miss Scarlet. Okay. I just, Interesting. I yeah. I thought she performed beautifully, and she would not be the first one that I would like know out of this cast. Right, and that's sad. Like she's so good, and yet she didn't really do as much as everybody else. Yeah. I mean, she did a ton. Don't get me wrong, but she's not as recognizable mm-hmm. as everybody else in the movie. So I get it. My Jim Carrey award goes to Michael Keane for Mr. Green. Ooh, um, that's a good one. I think. He kind of holds the movie together with his straight-laced performance when everybody else is always being super wacky. And his entire thing, like you said, is just, I didn't do it. He's so straight-laced throughout the whole thing that I'm just like, God, man, do you, like you, how did you not just like lose it and just start trying to be wacky like everybody else? Mm-hmm. Like, you held your shit together. And I just think it's underrated. Like He went on to have a great career. Like None of these people are Truman Show-level Jim Carrey. Like... Where it's like, oh, you're not going to get Oscar nominated. You're not going to get recognition for the Like, everybody in this just, like, they did their thing. They all had great careers after it. But if I had to pick one out of the cast, it's Michael McKean. Which is so sad. I loved his performance. And when I was going through my notes, I had actually forgotten to exactly. put him so on my list. So that's exactly why he gets my Jim Carrey Award. You forgot about him. Yes. Uh, next up is our Most Replayable Scene Award. The scene that... It's on TV. You're walking past. You see this scene on TV, and you're like, "Cool, I gotta watch." What Be- is it? Besides the entire movie. Uh, um, what's your What's your scene though? Wadsworth replaying of the night's event. Okay. Events of the night. Sorry. Um, it is. So you're 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 going big here. You're like the last the last fifteen minutes of the movie. Yes. 
last 20 minutes of the movie, that's my scene. Yes. That whole thing. That whole okay. thing. Because okay. it's just so funny. It gets me every time that I watch it that I'm just, like, captivated by uh, Tim Curry's performance here. Where he's just so manic and so crazy. And it is... It, it's so funny. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, my most replayable scene is when the cop shows up. So a cop shows up halfway through the movie after a couple murders have already happened. Uh, just the cook and Mr. Body. Those mm-hmm. are the two dead so far. And a cop, sh- or no, and the motorist. Sorry. And the motorist. They're all dead. And a cop shows up and he's like, I need to use your phone. I saw a car off the side of the road. I got to call it in. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. And then they lock him in a room and he freaks out and he, they let him out. And he's like, something seems weird. Show me around. And he starts showing they start showing him around, like, giving him all these rooms. Well, they have three dead bodies they got to cover up. So in one room that they go into, Miss White has Mr. Body laid on a couch, her on top of him, kissing him and moving his hand around the back of her head mm-hmm. so it makes it look like they're making out. Then Colonel Mustard's over by the curtains with the cook, and the cook's a big lady. And it's so funny because he's got his arms around her and he's making out with her. Miss Peacock is hiding in the curtains with her arms through, feeling all over the back of Mustard's <laughs> back. It always reminds me of, like, the Whose Line Is It Anyway game. Yeah. Where it's like, you got to put your arms behind your back, your partner puts their arms through, and has to be your hands. It reminds me of that. Just great. But then they go to the next room, and Plum and Scarlet are in there making out, and they drench the motorist in liquor and set him up like he's passed out in a chair, and the cop gets right up in his face. He's like, sir... Sir, and he smells him. He's like, oh, he's drunk. He's dead drunk. Mm-hmm. And Scarlet goes, yep, you're dead right. <laughs> he's just like, guys, you're throwing out the word dead in this moment. And then he leaves. And he's like, okay, cool. Everything seems good. He goes out of the hall. And Tim Curry shows up, Wadsworth. And he's just like, oh, hey, what's going on? And he's like, oh, we're good. We're good. Everything's I, good. I saw everything. I saw everything. And he's like, you did? And he's like, yeah, yeah you're fine. We are? Yeah, there's nothing illegal going on here. And Wadsworth doesn't know they staged everything. Yeah. He thinks he saw dead bodies. And he's like, wait, we are? He's like, yeah, this is the home of the free, land of the free. You can do these things. It's it's not against the law. He's like, I didn't know it was that free. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's such a great moment. So good. And then the cop goes, make a phone call. They lock him back up. And now we know this is, we're in the home stretch. This is where the movie is ramping up to the end. Yeah. And that's why it's my most replayable scene. If that's on TV, first of all, I have to watch it because it's hilarious. And secondly, I know we're going to the third act where it's just taking off. Yeah. All right. Next up is a new award for us. It's the Jaws What Award. (laughs) And it's just that line or that action that just seems so out of place in the movie. Mm -hmm. What do you got? For me, it is... um... Mrs. White smashing her glass to kind of get people's attention and be like, will you guys stop? We have to figure out what to do with this guy before he figures out what's going on. But the way she says it is just like, oh my God, what the hell? Oh my God. Yeah. She's a little overacting right there. What's great about that though is she smashes two glasses. I don't know where the second glass comes from. (laughs) She throws a glass into the fireplace to get everybody's attention. You hear the glass break. It cuts to everybody looking at her, cuts back to her, and she has a glass in her hand. She throws it on the ground and smashes it. Yeah. And I'm like, how'd you get two glasses? Yeah. So that was definitely... Are you that drunk? That I was definitely... It. What? Yeah, she's 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 a bit much. It's funny because my what award actually goes to Miss White as well. Mm-hmm. When 
they find out that she hates a vet. She she knows a vet because her husband cheated on her with a vet. Yeah. And they're like, oh, so you know her and you don't like her. And she goes in this little rant about how she hates her. And the line of dialogue in the script was just something simple. Like, yes, I know a vet. My hum- husband slept with her. I hate her. And Madeline Kahn, like, just went off the rails with this and starts mumbling her words and stuttering and then talks about how flames come out of her head or something. And it's so... In a movie that's very Aaron Sorkin-like, quick, witty dialogue, go, 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 you just come to a screeching halt of, like, why is this woman not speaking full sentences, stuttering, and seems to be completely incoherent? Yeah. And it's because, like, the backstory to that is everybody had to follow the script perfectly. Like, the director was like, no, I wrote this, you say it like this. There was no improvisation on this movie, except for that one scene. And I feel like we probably shouldn't have had that. And we probably shouldn't have had it. So that's my what award. Um, We got two more awards. Next up is our worst moment, or until I come up with a better name, it's the Jar Jar Binks Award of just like, (laughs) it's the worst thing in the movie. Yeah. What do you got? For me, it is the splitting up to hunt around the house. It just takes forever, and it feels like it takes the movie to a screeching halt of like, oh my God, this... Just get up, just keep get along with it. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I, cool. Yeah, we get some very funny bits out of it, but it's still like, oh my god. Could have sped it up like yeah. two times. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right, my Jar Jar Binks award goes to the broken down driver who shows up. I feel like he's in a completely different movie. Um. It feels like really out of place. He is a bad actor. Yeah. So it takes me out of those scenes as well. And it just seems to be like, I don't understand the purpose of this at all. Also, he is a major plot hole. How did he become a, like, his car broke down, but he was supposed to be there? But not only broken down, but, like, somehow run off the road and up on a little hill because the cop investigates his car and it's, like, teetering over this little, like, anthill thing. Like, yeah. Up in the, it's super weird. So, he made he, absolutely no sense Yeah, to me. he's my, he's my Jar Jar Banks. He, I don't like him. Remove him from the movie. Uh, I know it doesn't give Colonel Mustard as much to do in the end. His story doesn't make sense where everybody's a killer then because he knows him from his time in the military. Yeah. I don't care. Get rid of it. Yeah. Doesn't work for me. Yeah. All right. And then our big award of the night, and this is our best moment award. It doesn't really have a name, but... (laughs) Name is TBD. (laughs) Name is TBD. I mean, maybe I named it in the last episode and I just don't remember what I called it because we were just kind of shopping names around. Yep. So... If you have a a good... If you have suggestions, hit us up on Twitter. Please. Let us know. Um, So what's your best moment of the movie award? For me, it was a quick exchange of uh, the is there anyone else in this house moment between Colonel Mustard and Wadsworth. They, it's that peak misunderstanding kind of humor where Colonel Mustard is like asking Wadsworth, hey, is there anyone else in this house? And the way he's, you know, uh, wording his questions, it is leading to Wadsworth answer being uh, like he can't figure it out. Yeah. He, He can't understand what Wadsworth is trying to say. And it goes on for a little while and it just tickles my funny bones so much. It is the peak moment there awesome um all right so my best moment comes in only comes in ending a yes of the movie which is why i'm glad that ending a exists even though it's not my ending Mm -hmm. but it's after miss scarlet pulls out the gun 
she pulls out the gun and she's like, ha ha, I did it and I got you all. And Wadsworth gets in her face and is like, well, I'm not afraid of you. And she's like, I'll shoot you. And he's like, no, you won't because you don't have any more bullets in that gun. And she's like, what do you mean? And then he recounts all the times the gun was fired. Yes. And he's like, you had one in the uh, study, then you had two in the chandelier, then you had two... At the door. At the door. And then you had one... Um, at the late uh, telegram lady. At the telegram lady. And he's like, so one plus two plus two plus one. Because it's a six yeah. bullet revolver, right? And only holds six. And she's like, no, there was only one shot at the chandelier. So if anything, it would be one plus one plus two plus one plus one. And he's like, well, even if that's the case, it would actually be one plus one plus two or one plus two plus one plus one. And like, they're saying the same thing. Yeah. But their delivery is so quick and so spot on. And it's wonderful how they're trying to count these bullets. And it distracts her enough that then there's a knock at the door. She turns. He gets the gun out of her hands. He's holding it. And he's like, I told you there's no more bullets in this. And he pulls the trigger and he shoots a chandelier. And there was a <laughs> bullet left. And it's just, it's so funny. It cr- I crack up at it every time because their delivery is so impeccably timed that like, you hear it and you're like, okay, rewind. I got to catch these numbers again. Okay, rewind. Got to catch these numbers again. I love that moment too on how Miss Scarlet ends it because she like is going along with it until she's like, okay, it's one that one that, oh, sh- shut up. You know, yeah. like. She's like, oh, I'm done. It's it's a classic Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck moment yes. where they're going back and forth of like duck season, rabbit season, duck season, rabbit. But it's counting bullets. Yes. And it's so dumb and so funny. And it's done so quickly. So that it's quickly. Like, oh my it's God. like literally 15 seconds of the movie only. But I will, I am glued to the TV for that 15 seconds. Yes. Watching it. But then it also just adds to it that when she's getting arrested, she's like, Wadsworth, don't hate me for trying to shoot you. And he's just like, frankly, Scarlett, I don't give a damn. And I'm just like, great. Way to parody that famous line. I love it. (laughs) So that's my best. Um, one, One more thing I want to throw at you before we go into final thoughts here. Do you think this was anybody's peak? Do you think this was anybody's, like, height? Like, they hit, this is where they came into power, where they were like, I can now do anything that I want. Do you think this movie hit that for anybody? I don't think so, actually. Okay. Um, I'm probably not the one to ask. I don't know these character, these characters, these actors super okay. well. So maybe this would be a question for a, a movie where I know And the then a people. few more, <laughs> one more, one more little thing. Uh, last, last section here, because this is just weird. Uh, what ifs? What if this person was cast in this role instead? Okay. So I got three of them here for you. So for Miss Scarlet, mm-hmm. the original cast was Carrie Fisher. Ooh. I think she could have done it, but... Interesting, right? Yeah. So Carrie Fisher was actually hired to be Miss Scarlet. She was brought on board. She was Everything was good. The director signed off on it saying yes. The studio signed off on it saying yes. But unfortunately, the lawyers and the insurance company said no. Because when she got hired, Carrie Fisher was actually still in rehab, Oof. finishing her up her treatment from the pills addiction and stuff that she was going through at the time. But the reason she was hired is because she had just come off Slave Leia, where <laughs> she inter- like immediately became a recognized sex symbol. Yeah. So I think it would have been an interesting one. And I think she would have been sassy enough to do it. Uh, yeah, she was powerful enough. She could. I mean, she basically was just been playing Leia, 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 <laughs> but in Clue. I was going to say, uh, then we wouldn't get Warren, though, and I really liked Warren's I know. performance. That's interesting what if. Um, so Tim Curry was not the original choice for Wadsworth. 
How um, dare even, they? Even though the director and him went to college together, he was not the original choice. Um, one of the original choices, Tim Curry was actually third. One of the original choices was actually Mr. Bean himself. Rowan Atkinson mm. was, the, was the choice to be... What do you think? That, that doesn't sit well. Yeah, it doesn't work I, for me either. I don't think he's suave enough. Like, I Tim, mean, whatever it is about him, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, like, no, no. and I've known his his Bean work, and I know he does other comedy as well. I just don't see him as being this character. That's fair. And then the last one I wanted to talk about is, so apparently Yvette was like a sought-after role for some up-and-coming actresses. Like, according, Why? according to <laughs> Colleen Camp, who played Yvette in the movie, she had to fight off some other people for this role. She actually not showed physically up, fighting. Not, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> but she actually showed up to the audition in a sexy maid outfit, just to have to stand out. Because when I name these two other people, you're gonna be like, oh my god. Um, and then the director came out and said that he actually hired her because of her look. Like she's she's a fine actress and she was gonna play the part, but her look, he was like, dude, I gotta have her. <laughs> she's voluptuous in every single way. Like, he hired her for her looks only, but I guess for that role, it makes sense. Yeah. So here's the two names. I, there was plenty more, but these were two names that stuck out to me of who she had to beat out. First was Demi Moore. Okay. Not super famous Demi Moore yet. We're still in 1985, but up and coming, like, gonna go on to be the biggest named actress in the world, Demi Moore. Okay. And Madonna. Ooh. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. I, I like. I feel like Madonna could have physically done it, but completely I changes don't... the character. Yeah. If, if either one of those get cast, so that was it. Those are my cool what ifs. Yeah. Interesting. Those were good. All right. Uh, final thoughts. Hit me with your final thoughts, and then let me know. Does it hold up? To me, uh, having watched it just the first time ever for this podcast, it held up. It held my interest. It was that dark comedy that is so popular right now. It works in so many ways and i know it doesn't work in a few other ways but those are almost minuscule compared to how well it works all right those are my thoughts um so i think there's a lot that doesn't work in this i think the object objectification of the women doesn't work i think is it, they don't do a lot but just even the little subtle homophobia things once we find out mr green is gay doesn't work mm -hmm. i think a lot of the writing for certain characters doesn't work but overall like the the good outweighs the bad yeah so it's problematic in certain areas but not enough to take it off the board so i agree it holds up yeah it's like those those things that we say don't work uh, kind of get a bit more of a pass than they normally because would it's because in it's in a comedy. Because it's Especially, in a black comedy, yes. for sure. So, yeah. Okay, well, that's two, does it hold up? And yes, yes, it does hold up. Yes. So let us know over on Twitter if this does hold up. In the meantime, though, before we're back next Friday, we're actually starting a second podcast that's a sister to this show, and it's going to be sequels and reboots. So basically what we're going to do is every Tuesday we're going to release a short podcast, roughly 30 minutes or so, where we pitch a sequel to the movie that we just discussed and also a possible reboot to the movie that we just discussed. It all is going to depend on if we said the movie holds up or not. So come check it out this Tuesday, which would be, what, October 3rd? 
I think it's October 3rd. <laughs> um, 2022. October 3rd, 2022. Come check it out. It's our new one. It's a nice little short form. We're going to be pitching a sequel to Clue. Let us know what you think. In the meantime, keep watching movies. Follow us on TikTok. Follow us on Twitter. Bye. Bye.